you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. I know, uh, yeah, I'm aware that I preached these same texts last week. Um, we're going back to them. I don't know many passages of Scripture that have spurred uh, more songs and more hope uh, than Hebrews uh, chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. And I felt like last week I spoke a lot of true things, um, but didn't do so in a beautiful way. And so I called for a mulligan, and so I'm going to preach the same text again, all new material. Don't worry, you hadn't heard any of this before, uh, because we're just going to drill down in here. And we're actually going to drill down in this part of the scriptures uh, for the next six weeks. Uh, just to let you know where we're going, uh, it's Christmas. Um, and so next week, you'll get to hear, we want to anchor Christmas in the story of the whole Bible, in God's eternal purpose from the beginning of history to the end of history. And so next week, I'm going to attempt to tell you the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in 30 minutes. Genesis to Revelation in 30 minutes. That's next week. Uh, you want to come back for Thanksgiving for that. Um, it's going to be awesome. Uh, and then we'll look at uh, anchoring Christmas in uh, several different things. First, we're going to anchor Christmas in the, the harsh reality of the real world. That our Christmas, that Christmas cannot be something we sentimentalize. It must be something grounded in reality. Uh, and then we'll ground it in um, nobodies. That Christmas is a story of nobodies that were used by God. Third, we'll ground it in song as our choir leads us. And then finally, we're going to ground it in possibility. Uh, that Christmas um, is uh, not just does God use nobodies and broken sinful nobodies, but in God, with God, all things are possible. So we're really going to uh, drill down into anchoring our Christmas experience in uh, God's grand plan from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, this week, uh, we're going to ask the question, what is an anchor? Um, and so I'm just going to try to answer five questions today. I'll give you the questions, I'll read the scripture, and then we're going to preach. The, the questions we're going to try to answer today are, uh, why do we need an anchor? What is the anchor? Why can we trust the anchor? When do you... When do you use an anchor? And then finally, what difference does it make? So, um, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. The Bible reads like this. It says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by something Someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Jesus has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. This too is God's word. Thanks be to God. Friends, I'm convinced that we live in a desert of hope. Our world hunts for hope like water in a dry and desperate land. Families and lives come apart without it. 
And we're looking any and everywhere for something to fill the void, to give our lives meaning and excitement and to assure us uh, that we matter, that we're loved, that we're connected. You see, hope comes from connection. Biblical hope is, um, is built on connection. It's not wishful thinking, um, but it's built on relationships, on promises and on trust. Hope is not wishful thinking that things are going to go my way or are always going to get better. Hope is the certainty that I am loved and accepted and challenged and supported, that I'm never alone, that no matter what comes, I'll never have to walk through it by myself, that when I'm overwhelmed, someone will help me, that when I'm weak, someone will strengthen me, and when I'm attacked, someone has my back. You see, we were made for hope because we were made for connection. Friends, how do we live in this desert of hope? How do we live in a world that is desperate for connection when we are more connected than ever before? We now have these small rectangular devices that make us perpetually available. We can carry our phones into uh, every place of life. And yet, people still feel alone. The depths of our relationships are unsatisfying. And I was reminded of this uh, by hanging out with high schoolers this weekend. High schoolers, like you feel this, right? You feel this need for connection. And so it makes peer pressure that much more uh, effective because I need that stuff. And it makes caving into to vaping or weed easier. We want to be loved and we want to be wanted. And so we give our bodies away in unhealthy sex without marriage. I see more and more adults in emotional affairs, spending hours and hours on dating apps, carrying uh, on conversations they should be having with spouses, but instead having them with a stranger across the world and pulling their family apart. Someone who just gets them more than their spouse. Someone who understands me better. And it's killing us. We now live, we have the highest rates of mental illness, we have the highest rates of divorce, the highest rates of pornography usage, the highest rates of online gaming addictions, and we see suicides regularly. I've seen four in a month. And it's not just out there, it's not just far away, it's us, it's us, it's the church. We are people desperate for connections and making bad decisions to try and find and fuel and create connections. And yet we're the people who are also carrying secrets that are road intimacy. Here in Hebrews, the author is going to talk about connection using the illustration of an anchor. You see, an anchor is the thing that connects a boat to the bottom of the ocean. It's a, a connector. It's the connection of being tied to something. You can think of it like this. Every life is like a vessel, and life is like a river. And I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry. Like a bird upon the wind, these waters are my sky. But you were made not to sell your vessel, but to be anchored in Jesus, to be connected to Jesus, to be tied to God Almighty. You see, what's happened is the devil has convinced us that to be anchored in Jesus is to be tied down, to be trapped, to be limited. And so he's convinced us that what we need is our freedom. And so he's convinced all of us to sever the anchor line and to cut ourselves off from Jesus so we could go and do whatever it is we want to do. 
Being tied to Jesus sounds a lot like being tied down to us. And being adrift sounds a lot like being free. But nothing could be further from the truth because you and I were never meant to live without an anchor. And so as soon as I've cut myself free, as soon as I've severed the rope and let the anchor plunge to the bottom, I'm immediately in this desperate situation of trying to hold my vessel, my ship, up into the wind, up into the current, trying to hold myself in place against a thousand forces that want to dash me against the rocks of life. Immediately, I'm using all hands on deck to keep myself off the rocks. Some rocks that I can see, some shoals that I can't see. And I spend all my energy just trying to hold our ship up into the wind, up into the current, up into the tides. And yet this is, it's impossible. And so over and over again, we crash. We see what looks like a safe harbor and we make for it. But before we can get to the beach, we dash our lives against the rocks. Because there's hundreds of currents coming at us every day. Currents that run through our culture and through our brains. Telling us lies like, you're too fat to be loved. You're too stupid to be successful. Money, it'll fix your life. One more beer will make the pain go away. If only you had a better wife. If only you wore the right clothes. If people really knew you they'd run away. If your best friends could read your thoughts, you would have no friends. One more bargain on Craigslist will fill the emptiness. Your parents don't love you. No one will notice if you're gone. And your family would be better off without you. These messages bombard us, these arguments in our heads and in our culture, these messages of advertisers and mental illness come beating against us. And we can only hold it up into the wind so long before we pick one of the lies and believe it. And God knows we have these arguments in our head, and that's why in verse 16 it says, uh, people swear... Because an oath confirms what is said and it puts an end to all arguments. God wants to put an end to all of your arguments. And so he's going to say in verse 19 that we have an anchor for our souls. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. And I've been looking at this verse for a month now. And every time I look at it on, uh, like I Google it, I see all kind of Pinterest and Etsy arts. And they, all they say is um, hope is an anchor for the soul. Hope is an anchor for the soul. The problem is the Bible doesn't say hope is an anchor for us all, just generic hope. It says this hope, this specific hope. What is that hope? What is the hope that the Bible is referring to here? Well, it's the same hope that comes from the promises that were given to Abraham. It's hope that I will am connected with God and I will be used to connect others. You remember what God said to Abraham? God said, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Our hope is being connected to God Almighty and then being used as a connector to connect other people to God. A few months, a few weeks ago, I said that you have been connected to God, but you are just an extension cord of God's grace. You were made to both be connected to God and then to connect other people to God. And our hope is that that would not just be a wishful thinking, but that is reality. That is something that is true. 
The Bible is going to say this over and over again, but just to prove to you that this is specifically the hope that is referred to by the author of Hebrews, let me just show you a couple places in Hebrews. The first one is in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19. It's um, the next chapter. We're going to get there in about a month or two. Um, It says this, we have a better hope, verse 19, we have a better hope by which we draw near to God. What is that hope and what does it allow us to do? It allows us to draw near to God. That hope is that we have a priest named Jesus who allows us to draw near to God. That we have a priest who allows us to draw near to God. Hebrews is going to say this very, very clearly in chapter 10, starting at verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, which we will get to next year about Thanksgiving, um, is going to say this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that's the, the place of God, that's where God lives, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed by pure water. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. What is the hope that we profess? Well, it was just articulated in the verses right before it, which is that we have a high priest who has opened up the way into God's presence, who has led, who has split the curtain that divided us. He broke down the wall, kicked down the door uh, that kept us out of God's presence and is brought us into God's presence, that we can now walk into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus, by the the finished work of our high priest, and we are now intimately connected to God. We have confidence to walk in. We can draw near to God in confidence. Our great hope is that since Jesus is our high priest and is perfectly bled and died for us, we can know and enjoy connection with God right now, intimacy with God right now, and that we can be a connection point for others. Hebrews uh, 10 is going to keep going on to say, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together. That we now become those who connect others to God. Our Our hope anchor is that because of Jesus, we will be used this way. Our hope is not just heaven when we die, but heaven right now. The anchor is not that when you die, you will go to heaven. The anchor is that you can experience heaven right now. Hope is that at any moment, you can step into God's presence. In fact, you already have one foot there, one foot in heaven Hope is not vague, wishful thinking. It's not optimism or cheeriness. It is the reality that I am anchored in Jesus, and he will use me to anchor others. And so I have hope because I know for certain that I am never alone, that I am loved and accepted and challenged and supported by Jesus, that no matter what comes, I'll never have to walk through it by myself, that when I'm overwhelmed, Jesus will help me, that when I'm weak, Jesus will strengthen me, and when I'm attacked, Jesus has my back. Friends, you were made for this, and nothing else will work. This is God's eternal purpose.
purpose. Do you see that great phrase in verse 17? The very purpose of his, the nature of his purpose, very clear. The unchanging nature of his purpose in verse 17. You, the purpose of your existence, the purpose of everything God has created is this. Connection to God and to connect others to God. That's why we exist as a church. If that's not why we exist as a church, if we're not accomplishing that, if we're not connecting people to God in such a way that they experience God's presence and they're able to connect others to God, then we are failing. It cannot be one or the other. We have to be both people who are connected to God, but people who are always reaching out to connect to other people. We have to. That's the purpose. That's what God's created from the beginning to end. I'm going to show you that again next week. But this is a hope. The Bible calls this a hope because it's an invisible reality. It's a certainty, but it's invisible. And so it takes faith. You might think of it like this. Jesus is the anchor, but faith is the chain that connects us. It is built upon the promises made to Abraham in the history in the Bible, and it's secured in Jesus, but it takes faith. And the problem is we're not very good at trusting promises because all of our lives we've been disappointed by promises. The fact that we have to make promises is proof that we are liars. That's what I told you last week. Some of you went to say, I promised to your kids this week and thought, man, I just told my kid I was a liar. So God turns around and he wants to help us believe. He wants to help us believe. Think about the tenderness of God here. Think about the tenderness of God. God has never lied. Never lied. Have you ever been a parent and you um, and you, your kids ask you for something and you said, I'll give you that in an hour? And they um, like went against your will or whatever and you said, like, why don't you believe me? Like, has the last five years of your life not proven that I love you and that I'm trustworthy? Have you ever been at that place? Like, believe me. God gets there. God, we don't trust God, but God doesn't respond with defensiveness or retaliation. Instead, God condescends to our unbelief, and he confirms his promise. He confirms his word with an oath. Look at this in verse 17. It says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what is promised, he confirmed it with an oath. Verse 18, he did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for a God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. God knows that our faith is weak, that I can't see the chain that connects us, and so I get overwhelmed, that I struggle. And so he is trying to help me understand why I can believe, why I can trust this anchor. Why can I trust that this anchor will hold? And he gives us Three, uh, three reasons, really quick. The first is in verse 17. He says this is the unchanging purpose. That his purpose from the beginning to the end of time has always been this. That you're not going to sin tomorrow and God's going to say, that's it. That's it. That, done. That last curse word you said, that four-letter word when you stubbed your toe in the office, I give up. I, I was down for this much, but not this. That God's purpose for that is that he's going to use you. This is his unchanging purpose. His unchanging purpose is to use you to connect other people. Second, and I honestly think that second part is the part that we struggle to believe the most. 
that God will use me to make disciples, that God will use me to make himself famous, that I can tell my testimony and people will come to faith, that God wants me to invite my neighbors and that I'll be the one who invites somebody to church, that I'll be the one who disciples my kids and gets to pray pray a prayer to give their life to Jesus with my children. Most of us believe that that's the youth pastor's job or, or the kids pastor's job or the Sunday school teacher's job. We just don't believe that God would use us. But God is trying to say, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. And so he, he swears an oath to show us his unchanging purpose. And then in verse 18, it's to encourage us, to say, hold on strong, hold on as hard as you can, encourages us. And then in verse 19, knowing that even as hard as we can hold, we can't hold on enough. He says, I will hold you fast. And he shows us this in verse 19 and 20, this incredible thing. The picture I like to think about is when I'm with my family and we're on the boat, uh, we oftentimes don't want to go to the beach because it's a big crowd. So we'll put everybody on the boat and we'll go to an island uh, or we'll go to a sandbar. Um, And if the tide is falling, I have to put the boat way out into the water uh, to make sure that it doesn't get beached. So what do I need to do is I'll go and um, I'll get out of the what this picture here is of Jesus who is who was safe and secure on the beach seeing us adrift out in it swims out to us he cuts himself loose from the safety and he becomes adrift swims out to us gets our anchor and carries it back into heaven where he ties it around his throne I imagine Jesus I wish I could walk around the pulpit like I imagine Jesus just like circling the throne with his anchor and then tying like a double knot in it and being like, there, you're not going anywhere. You are tied to my to the throne of God. It has been finished and done. You can trust this anchor because it's been buried in heaven. And it was done by the one who went to the cross. When Jesus saw you adrift, he left his anchored position on the throne. And he was set adrift. He was set adrift saying, my God, my God, where, why have you forsaken me? He experienced cosmic adriftness and lostness. He was dashed against the rocks. His life was crushed on, by all the lies of this world so that you could be saved from those lies, those rocks, those shoals by the cross of Christ. And he carries you through death into the presence of God. You can trust it because it's been done. He's trying with everything he has to say, trust me, trust me, see the anchor, trust the anchor, believe it's there. I know you can't see through the water. I know you can't see the chain, but it's there. So why do you need, when do you use an anchor? Why does God give us an anchor? Three quick reasons. In a boat, you use an anchor for really three reasons. There's probably more, but these are the three that come to mind first when I'm thinking about my boat. There's a storm. You don't leave your boat tied up against a dock during a big storm because the waves will just smash it back and forth against it. And so uh, for big boats, you'll actually pull them out into a deep harbor. Uh, They'll get them out where they can set their anchor so that there's nothing for the boat to smash against. It can have some leeway, but it can't um, smash into anything. There's nothing for it to run against. And so our anchor will hold us fast during storms of life. 
because the storms will come. Jesus was fond of saying when the storms come, not if the storms come. Those are going to come. Cancer is going to come. You're going to lose your job. All kinds of things will happen. But the second one is uh, you anchor uh, to wait. In shipping lanes, a big port, what will happen is uh, there's a boat trying to unload all these giant shipping containers. And they're there at this very boarding at the stoplight and being unloaded. And other boats will come and they have to, and they can't yet get into port because the port is full. All the docking stations and unloading stations are full. And so they'll drop anchors just outside uh, in the harbor and wait until it's their turn. God gives us this anchor to teach us patience. One, for protection. Second, to train us for patience. That God is preparing us for uh, what's coming next. And right now, he gives you the anchor of Jesus so that while you're waiting, while you have to wait a lot longer than you ever dared dream but for the promises of God to come true in your life, you have an anchor. Whether that means you're waiting to conceive a child, uh, whether that means you're waiting for your child, your, your rebellious prodigal child to come home, uh, whether that means you are waiting on a spouse, or uh, whether that means uh, you are waiting on the right job, whatever you are waiting for, while you are waiting, you have an anchor that will hold, that will not drift or slip until, you're, uh, until God brings you there. While you are in the desert, while you are in that place where it feels like God has abandoned you, you have an anchor that is holding you in just the right place. And that's the last thing you use an anchor for, is a place with a purpose. You know why I use my anchor the most? You all know. Fishing. I fish all the time, and so I use the anchor to hold me in a place where I know there are fish, where I can spend time fishing, where I can spend time doing something. And Jesus has you anchored in just the right place to fish. God has positioned you with a purpose. God has positioned you there to reach others. Remember, the anchor is both to connect you to God, but also to let you connect other people to God. And God has used this anchor, positioned this anchor in your life. He has positioned your vessel just right so you have reach, you have access to Dozens and dozens of people who seem far away from God, but aren't that far from God. They're just as far as you are from them. Do you realize that if we start to believe this, if we start to believe this, it, trans- it changes everything. It changes everything. The first thing it will change is that it makes everywhere I am, everywhere I am is a temple. Everywhere I am, God's presence is right there. God is not far away. God is lurking just under the surface. Instead of thinking of heaven far away above the heavens, think of heaven as like just under, like you're standing in a boat and heaven's underneath you. You're you're in heaven. You're kind of on heaven almost. It's all around you. You just can't see it. God is not far away. Where you are, God is right there. At any moment, you can close your eyes and call on the name of the Lord and be in God's very presence. Without going through a mediator, without uh, doing any like rigmarole, you call, God answers, face to face, right here, at your desk, in your home, in your living room. I met this guy Rob a little while ago, and uh, and he was telling the story. I don't have time to tell the story. I'm gonna tell it anyway. Uh, there was he was telling stories when they were looking to buy a house, and he has six kids. Six is a bunch of kids. Um, Rob has six kids, and his third girl runs into this house that they're looking to buy. And she runs in, and she looks around, and she looks around, and she sees a room, and she turns over to this 
You know, a family worship room. It has like uh, worship furniture in it. Uh, and it's like, what's worship furniture? And he's like, well, there's a small square table about this high and knee high. And then it puts these uh, large L shaped um, cushiony things around it. Uh, some people call those uh, couches. And some people call that worship table a coffee table. But the most important thing we do in that room is worship God. And so we call it our worship room. It's not our living room. The most important thing we do there is worship God. Your living room is a temple. It is a sanctuary. Do you chase God there or do you wait till you come to this place? I'm scared to tell you, but your deer stand, your boat, God is there. You can't follow Jesus alone. I've preached that message two weeks, for the last two weeks. I'm not going to have to tell you it again, but God's there. But the second thing is where you are is also a mission field. Where you are, God has put you there for a purpose. Every person you meet is a potential fish God has sent you. Every person in your house is there so that you can point them to Jesus. Every person in your workplace is there so you can point them to Jesus. Every kid on your soccer team is there so you can point them to Jesus. The people who have season tickets next to you at, at some college or university near us are there so you can point them to Jesus. They may be far from God, but they're not far from you. And God is in you. So how far from God can they possibly be? I think about this all the time. That heaven is all around us and I, I have to learn to feel it because I can't see it. I don't recognize it just yet. And I was trying to talk to a married couple about something the other day. And he's an avid fisherman like myself. And I was trying to find the, the right analogy. And I said, But God has not left me alone in this. God has given me a guide in this. He's given me hundreds of guides in this. He's brought you into my life to train me, to say, oh yeah, that thing you were feeling 
was this. This is how you represent God. That shaking that happens in, in your body when the Holy Spirit falls on you. Those tears that are uncontrollable and you don't know why you're uh, crying in worship. Let me help you explain that. Um, that thing that's happening in your marriage that you can't diagnose, let me help you with that. He's given you the Bible and prayer and all these things so that you don't have to do it alone. So that you can learn to feel heaven just underneath the surface. So that you can learn to diagnose heaven just underneath the surface. And so that you can recognize the people in front of you as fish. So that you can see them as God sees them. As broken, needy people who are doing the very best they can, but who are in desperate need for God. You could be the one who pulls them into your boat, or maybe forms like a redneck yacht club, like um, where you tile the boats together with one anchor. But last, let me tell you what this doesn't mean. One last fishing story. God's fault. He put the analogy in there. I'm just going to use it. Many of you know the Seven Apostles story where Jesus and Ananias and Sapphira go and they say, we don't have gold, but they start saying, and they're fishermen. And the other side's out there and they're fishermen. I don't know any of them in this story, but the boats come by and I'll set the anchor and set the hook there and they God, we so often don't believe that you really love us. So we don't really believe that we're blessed. 
But even more than that, God, we don't believe that you will use us to be a blessing. We don't believe that you'll use us as the missionaries that will change Cleveland. You, you don't, you, we don't believe you'll be the one who uses us as the missionary who will change the PTA or GCAA. We don't believe that, you, that, that, that you'll use us to be the missionary who converts our entire office. You, to use us as the missionary who, who heals that neighbor or builds community in our neighborhood. Or, or just more personally, the, the missionary who will point our, our spouse to Jesus. We just don't believe that our words could bring somebody to the Lord or even the church. God, we think we're just doubting us, but we're really doubting you because you said that we are those people. You said we are the saved, the redeemed, but we're also the sent and the commissioned. Forgive us for doubting you. Forgive us for doubting your use, like your ability to use us. Forgive us for being disobedient. If you want to be connected to God, there's no magic to it. You just talk to him, and he'll listen. But if this is your first time, you might want to say something simple to him. Like, God, I realize I've been ignoring you and leaving my, leading my life my own way, that I cut myself off from you a long time ago, but I want to be connected to you, and I believe you died on a cross to save me and to anchor my life. So I commit to figuring out how to follow you and to help other people to do that for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Friends, we give not because we have to, but we give because he gives.